Thank you. I appreciate that. Good morning, City Hope. Good morning, City Hope. And guests of City Hope today. Y'all, I'm excited to be up here preaching. I also feel like there's a lot of time that kind of passes whenever I preach. So then whenever I get up and do it, it's like, I feel like I forgot how to do it. So I'm like over here practicing deep breathing before I get up here and speak. And, and I think I might have had my mic on. So if you heard a lot of... <sighs> it was me the whole time. Well, uh, I'm hyped, y'all, because we've been going through a sermon series on the triune God, and today what I'll be speaking on is the family. I need y'all to say family with me. Say family. Family. Look to your neighbor on your left, on your right. Don't forget the neighbor on the right, and uh, if you got no neighbor on the right, that's okay. Okay, look look at the person in front of you. Look at the back of their head and say family. (laughs) Cool. Well, well, I want to start off, uh, one, as I mentioned family, I got to give a shout out to my pops. I don't know if he's streaming right now. He he might not be. I didn't tell him to tune in. So if he's not there, it's fine. He can check out the recording. Yes, it is my fault entirely. But I got to shout the man out, uh, mainly because, you know, it's June. We got Father's Day coming up. And so um, make sure, you know, if you got a, a fatherly figure in your life, who just models fatherlyhood well to, to show them some love. And I think that's in two weeks. So um, that's just a friendly reminder. Make sure you, oh, one week? Look, see, look, I'm already slipping. Got corrected by Mookie, the father back there. And um, so make sure to show some love. But the second reason why I'm shouting out, shouting out my pops today is because he taught me the beauty and the necessity of understanding that family comes first. Now, some of y'all are like, don't God come first? I, I, I get that, okay? But just, just bear with me here, okay? When you hear someone say family come first, usually they think God comes first, but for some reason they say family comes first. And this is show that you're important. <laughs> and also, God the Father thinks highly of his family. And so, One thing that I really appreciated that he taught in our household is this idea of family being first. And while that was a primary focus, he also demonstrated relational building with people who weren't even blood relatives. So it's these folks who are also considered family. It was like real common. So, so, you know, here's a perfect example. When Kat and I started dating before uh, she became my wife, getting to know my family it, it, there was some confusion there, right? Because when, especially when you're in a black household, everybody, your uncle and auntie, you know what I'm saying? You got Uncle Pookie, you got Auntie Cookie, you got a Uncle, uncle Fifi, Uncle, you know what I mean? They got all these nicknames too. And so this, this was also the issue. When she started asking, who's really your uncle and auntie? I'm like, oh, well, they're really a family friend. Also, I've been calling them Aunt Cookie my whole life. I don't even remember what her real name is. And so that put me in some weird situations to say, yo, mama, uh, what's their real name? Because I've been calling Uncle Teddy Uncle Teddy my whole life, and he's just been my Uncle Teddy, you know what I'm saying? But that's probably not his real name. Might be short for something. Might be something entirely different from his real name. But there's a beauty in being able to see that family isn't just this household of people familiar with one another in blood, but it's, it's people that we introduce in our lives. It was also those near to our hearts, those that we trust to be in proximity with, and for those people to be in proximity with the, the folks that we love, you know, your son, your daughter, your mama, your daddy. And it's one of the main reasons why I even think about when we were wedding planning and, you know, we got married during COVID, so we had to condense our list from, like, 300 to one, like, one, yeah, 137. That's the exact number right there. (laughs) I think that was what people included, right? And so that was a complicated factor. But for the most part, I think of friends that I have that I knew I wanted to be at this wedding over a blood relative that I 
never even met or just didn't really keep in contact with who, who lives out of state. And so as a grown man building my own relationship with friends, I already have an idea of who I can call like uncle and auntie if we, you know, if the Lord wills that we have a kid one day. And um, I, Rome ain't here. I know I, I might have already said this to the Lord, but I was like, when we have a kid, I already know y'all uncle and auntie. You know what I'm saying? They going to they know that. They will also probably know that y'all aren't blood relatives. And they probably should, because one day they might be put in the same situation as me. But to think that these kind of family friends were once considered strangers is a, a strange concept. And this is a piece of our desire to be included in family. The concept goes beyond blood relation. The spaces that feel like home to me are spaces that I feel like I can fully be myself, fully accepted and fully known by the people that I'm with. And not that every family displays this perfectly, but if there's any group of people that created this, it's ones that we consider family or community. And you'll hear me using that interchangeably today, community and family. You'll hear me say family way more, though. We see God do this very thing when he establishes his family. And in our case, the Lord has done a lot of work um, for us to be included in his family. This is one of the things that we've seen him establish with the Jewish community as his chosen family for a period of time and use them to play a role in adopting a new family. God desired to bring together people who have a lot of distinctions together. And in particular, we see that with Jews and Gentiles. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 has something to say of all of us, of what it means to be a part of God's triune family. So not just in relation with Jews and Gentiles, but there's a lot of secondary parallels that I'll begin to bring up, mainly because I'm assuming that most of everyone in here would be considered Gentiles in this text. But we'll get to break that down a little bit. So let's go ahead and start with verses 11 and 12. It says here, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. Look to your neighbor, and now I'm playing. (laughs) Uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And I got the scripture here on my script. So um, as I'm reading, I should probably pay attention to make sure all the slides are there. I I double checked before I started, but there's always that fear. (laughs) So we see throughout chapter two, a theme, a theme of where the people formerly were. And where they are now. It's clear that Paul is speaking to a Gentile audience, with the exception that some in Ephesus had a Jewish background, given the conflict that there was some Jew and Gentile relationship or conflict with Jews and Gentiles during this time. And this isn't the only place where we see this conflict exists, but it's an important piece of him addressing the Gentiles and remembering where they came from and where they are right here right now. Distinction between them and the Gentiles that bring an outsider is more than being some, someone unfamiliar with the Jewish and law culture. But they're labeled heathens, right? So again, the fact that I don't even want y'all to look to y'all neighbor and say, you're uncircumcised heathen, you know? <laughs> but this is what the, the Jewish culture considered the Gentiles, And there's certainly some hostility in that when we hear that. It's a strong opposition to the Gentiles. And and it's not worth trying to uh, euphemize or downplay because it's got to sting. We got to hear this conflict that exists here. But it's pride also that exists within the Jews that create insult to Gentiles. It's different from somebody saying, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm also broken too. I'm also an uncircumcised heathen, right? 
That was not the case for the Jewish culture because they were commanded to do so. And so in no situation could they say, ah, yeah, I'm broken too. Like you're an uncircumcised heathen. You need to be circumcised. But Paul is saying to the Jews, he's saying that they are proud that the laws and customs they keep distinguish them from the rest of the world. So much that circumcision is built up pride in their hearts, which is clearly sinful that we see in this text. They're forgetting that their accomplishment is false and it's only an outward action. Doing nothing to address the heart. This is really an unfortunate thing because the one thing that they felt gave them the upper hand with God, God is saying, this don't even matter, right? Because it does nothing to your heart. Not saying that it can't, right? The practice can point someone to God, but this isn't their behavior in this text. There's a reason why God said it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. So the Jews who highly emphasized the law so much that they harshly distinguished themselves by it were ultimately doomed because they couldn't fulfill the law like Jesus could. Somebody say, Jesus. 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 Yet the Gentiles, they also didn't have hope in Jesus. We see that in in verses 11 through 12. He's saying, y'all was without God. They're calling y'all uncircumcised heathens. I mean, I ain't... Also, Paul's very blunt, too, so he might have been saying this, too. Yet the Gentiles didn't know of the hope in Jesus. Not knowing and living without this hope is also a dangerous place to be in. So Paul is telling them that they also need to look to the cross. And that's clear when we see in Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. It says... For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do not have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. Paul is reminding them, even so, to remember that. Remember what you was called. Remember where you came from. Low-key, that can be traumatizing. It's like, well, I don't want to remember that I was an uncircumcised heathen. Y'all been clowning me all this time. Why do I want to remember that? But he says they were without the hope of the Father. And even though the Jews knew of the Father, their prideful heart was the thing that was causing disconnect between them and Gentiles. But wasn't the law created by God ultimately to show us our sin, which is the very thing that causes disconnect from the Father? This isn't to say that the law is bad, but it definitely ain't our saving grace. We see that clearly. But being confronted by a law, the law, I mean, that's automatic judgment right there. That's fatality. And to anyone who thinks salvation comes by attempting to fulfill it is in the wrong Having these things in mind, Paul wanted to communicate to Ephesus that the Jews needed to stop indulging in this idea that it is living the law that is going to bring you salvation. While the Ephesians were told to abstain from that idea. The whole truth expressed by the outward sign was already in their possession. They were spiritually circumcised by Christ circumcised in the heart, and it had nothing to do with being circumcised at all, physically. And this was just a sign of the peace to come. Now, in verses 13 through 18, we're going to read what this means for the family. Say family. Y'all got it. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us, united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. 
He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So we got to understand it was he that brought peace to those who were far away and to those who were near. Those who were far those who are near. Reconciliation through Jesus, bringing, bringing what, y'all? My man. <laughs> so even those near could not boast in their ability to keep the sign. But this section of the passage is really important to pay attention to because it's the whole reason Paul is, is telling the Gentiles that they need to remember who they are and where they came from. Because this reconciliation, this peace doesn't even come from this sign that, that, the, that the Jewish community is saying, like, you, you got to do this. They're saying, no, 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 no. Remember where you came from. Because the Lord remembers where you came from, too, and he brings you into his fold, into his family. Because no matter who they were, where they came from, how they behaved, it's Christ who adopts them into the family. It's not the Jews they had it their way, they probably would have kept up the wall of hostility, even though it didn't benefit them and not have them into the family. But, but Christ is saying, I got a plan. I got a plan here. I'm going to adopt y'all. I'm bringing y'all in. And so at this time, I definitely got to acknowledge the families that, that are doing adoption right now. You know what I mean? I think of the, the, the Jameses, the, the Moors, and, and I might even be missing somebody if I am. Sorry, that now's your chance to even say, yo, either I'm adopted or I have adopted somebody. I mean, we're not here to try to pat you on the back or anything like that, you know what I'm saying? But to acknowledge your efforts. I've not experienced adoption from the lens of a parent, and maybe I'm, again, missing a few others. But to those who have these experiences, for a parent to be able to say, that I desire this child to be a part of this family is a beautiful thing. And having entirely worked out how to care for their needs, right? Or, or I don't know how to welcome them. You know, I, I want to make sure that this, this kid fits in. I want to make sure that, that they get along with, with, with my kids. You know what I'm saying? Not, not all of that's been fleshed out yet. But I do want them to know that their personality, their behaviors, maybe their second guessing coming into this environment, their background and so forth, all of that is welcome into this space. All of it is welcome. And what is it like for the siblings to, to learn how to, how to uh, you know, like I'm used to having a, a brother being born in and they don't talk for a while and then eventually they start talking and I start talking back. Um, we get along, we don't, you know what I'm saying? But, and then one day to have your parents come up and be like, yo, we got a child enter into this family. They coming tomorrow. I don't know if it happened that quick. Hopefully y'all ain't, y'all ain't do that to y'all kids, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, actually, they about to walk up to the door right now. <laughs> your room is y'all room. <laughs> Um, so it makes me wonder how, how they feel in that case, too. How do you share your things? How do you have conversation? Um, but in that situation, the adopted child is always going to start off as the most vulnerable. Um, again, I'm not a parent, but I got a cousin who, you know, some of y'all know him. His name's Dion. He's, I call him my brother, but he's really my cousin. And, you know, unfortunately, he's had a lot of situations go on with between him and his mother to the point where my parents said, we're going to adopt you. Still having a relationship with that mother, still working through reconciling that. 
but my cousin being a part of the family now, it's like it just hits different to say you're not my cousin, you're my brother. And luckily, we got along. See, he's only a year younger than me, and I remember holding him in my arms as a baby. I got pictures. I will post them later on Facebook. I got one picture. Make sure to comment in the section below if you think that Chris really has this photo or not. <laughs> she has not seen it yet. It's there. <laughs> but that's also really cool, too, because it's like, man, I already got a bond with this guy. And now that we're together living regularly, sure, there are some things to still figure out. Like, I'm not with him on a daily basis. My parents weren't. And so to know what kind of upbringing did he come from and what was his experience growing up? What are some of the habits that he's bringing in? How do we work that out? Now, this is an example of seeing God bringing us into the family. This is us in the picture, y'all. When God brought the Jews, his chosen people, out of Egypt, you know, there's examples of this. We even see Egyptians who are saying, yo, I'm coming with y'all. Everything that went down here, I'm not for, I'm coming with y'all. And through that, they literally started to follow cultures, traditions, and the law. And I put emphasis on the law because this is that thing that's described as the wall of hostility. So, like, trying to reconcile that is difficult, too. The chosen people had to adhere to the law. The law itself constantly showed how holy God was and how unholy his people were, causing separation. Now, this wall described as a wall of separation was used as, at a season in time. But eventually, it was dismantled to let in all of God's adopted people without having to practice what is now fulfilled by the flesh of Jesus. This was always a part of God's plan. Y'all say God's plan. (laughs) It was never to keep Gentiles away from knowing God. And by the powerful life of Jesus, we see that in him who fulfilled the law that we couldn't fulfill, he now invites outsiders to join into the family. Again, saying everything that you've grown up knowing and experiencing, bring that over here. Oh, oh, you, you're used to being told you got to do No, you ain't got to do that here. It's cool, chill, relax. And as verse 18 says, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. That means we walk right into that. This is where you start to see yourself through the scripture. This is a pretty picture. It's a real pretty picture. The Lord brings peace by giving rid of the barrier. He uses his own body as a living sacrifice to bring the wall down. And he's pretty much said it's time for everybody to mix and mingle. The language is clear when Paul says that he united Jews and Gentiles into one people from two groups, and that through his death on the cross, he put hostility towards Jews and Gentiles to death, an act of using violence that extinguishes hostility so that the entire family can come together. Now, all of us can come to the Father. All of us can have the Spirit. All of us have this gift through Christ Jesus. As Christians, we're reminded of this beauty Being in this new family, completely adopted, not out of our own doing, but because we're desired. We are desired by Jesus. He's a perfect example, squashing any beef between two different parties so they can have peace and live with one another as a family. He does adoption so much better than we could ever dream of. But as I read through the text so far, I'm tempted to keep myself on the side of the Gentiles, which makes sense. I mean, it's quite literal, right? The text is saying that, you know, because I'm not Jewish, this is my reality. Remember where I come from. Literally speaking, this is me in the text. This is us, which means I'm not added into the family of God's chosen, but... 
Actually, sorry, you are added. I meant to say that. <laughs> you weren't God's chosen, but then you were added to God's chosen. Man, I done had a typo on my script. <laughs> That's why you got to proofread your stuff, y'all. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> but now that I'm chosen, is it possible for, for me to have the same pride that the Jews once had? Is it possible that this could be a potential danger for us to exclude others from being in a family? This applies to others that we may consider uncircumcised heathens. It's one thing for us to already be bunched into that, but in a secondary way, there may be ways that we build up our own walls of hostility towards others who come in. But we do this without saying that out loud. And by uncircumcised, I mean figuratively. In other words, it could be someone who don't believe in Jesus. Or in terms of these secondary issues, maybe it's someone who is a Christian but just doesn't fit into this mold, right? In this, in this way that we do church, in the way that we run our congregation, right? Whether that's church universally or within this congregation specifically, under this roof. Now, in my head, hostility sounds so harsh, and my pride makes me assume there's no way I'd do such a thing. I'm, I'm talking to me right now. But it's easier than I assume, right? Example, I love my wife. I love you, honey. I love my two cats. They get on my nerves, but I love them. And the thing is, because I, I now got a wife and two cats, you may ask, if I had one cat, would it make a difference of doing these things? No, it wouldn't. But there are things I will make sure to do to protect them. There are things I am doing to make sure to protect them. We got an alarm system, right? Got that set up. It's all good to go. Another thing I usually do is I make sure the curtains stay closed when, I mean, not all day, but like, you know, if we're getting out the shower, I'm like, hey, make sure to close them curtains. Don't nobody want to see you walking around like that. Nobody want to see me walking around like that. Or maybe they do. You know what I'm saying? Like, close them curtains. Actually, that's a real issue. Close them curtains when you get out the shower. You wake up in the morning. Close them. Close them. This, this is stuff that my dad taught me, too. You know what I mean? Also, another example. I go outside. I, you know what I mean? I, I do a little jump rope cardio. You know what I'm saying? I, I highly recommend it. If, if you're like, man, I need a new workout regime, jump rope's the way to go. But I go outside, I jump rope, like on the porch or on the sidewalk. But I lock my door. <laughs> I'm like, look, I could be working out and so tired. Somebody might see that as an opportunity to come into my crib, take my two cats, their food, their cat litter. What would they do without those things? But as much energy as I put protecting my family, I got to make sure that I'm putting in the energy for people to get to know my family. Now, I'm not saying it's through uh, open windows and unlocked doors and um, choosing not to steal cats, that that is a gateway. That would be nice, um, not taking my cats. But putting an emphasis on people getting to know my family. Why? Because they're wonderful. They're worth knowing. And that's the way that the Lord feels about this family. We are worth knowing. It is worth being a part of this family. It's not a perfect family, but sometimes we protect our family so much that it keeps others from coming in and starts to alienate others. But God doesn't do that. Alienation is described as being isolated from a group or an activity to which one should belong or in which one should be involved. Should. Should. Should be involved with this family. But it's so possible to love our family so much that we become protective. It's possible. I know for me to highly esteem ourselves so much that our religious privileges build a wall of hostility. Though it is a legitimate privilege and not inherently wrong to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, 
The question is, how does our new status include others rather than alienate them? Y'all, y'all rocking with me right now? Okay. Alienation, dividing, separation. These are all timeless themes that we've seen work throughout God's word again and again and again. The Jews did this with their legitimate status. Our privilege must lead to unity, not division. Our world is already filled with barriers, but the perfect family and community that Jesus has in mind is one that is made up with people that we wouldn't expect to be a part of the family. If there are no longer any walls built up because of the fulfillment of Christ, then there's no need for us to invent these other versions of walls. The walls that God had in place were never meant to be a reason for Jews to boast in being set apart in the first place. Figuratively speaking, does our church do this? This is a, um, a, a question that's meant for you to ponder on, meant for us to think about. If you're a guest, you can ask that about your church too. It's always space for self-evaluation. Always space for evaluation. And I have this quote that just like I was spending time uh, with, with, with Nate, our new intern, and, and Josh and Rome, just breaking down and thinking through the text. And um, one of the quotes that we brought up, I don't remember who it came from or if it was an original quote from Josh Hollowell himself. It sounded nice. Knowing him, he probably quoted some theologian. <laughs> but he said, does our church bring the taste of heaven or do we bring the scent of hell and condemnation? How do we create a family in which we all belong? Also, I'm not just saying he said it because it got this thing and I'm like, I don't want to be, uh, you know, judged or attacked because I said, do, hey, do we bring the scent of hell in here? And everyone's like, ah, oh, Chris said that. That word hell, it's, it's a hard word to say. It's a hard one to acknowledge. But I definitely think about this a lot because my job as a director of mercy has left me feeling confronted time and time again. If y'all are like, what's a director of mercy? Just think of it as a deacon, which I'm also the deacon of this church too. So there you go. But, you know, I think of different people that I've had the chance to work with uh, for years. And, you know, I got this person in particular. I won't even share the name just you know what I mean? Just to spare and, and to keep dignity. But we had a conversation after I helped take him to a doctor's appointment. And afterwards, we got a chance just to talk about, um, I don't remember how it came up, but we had, we've known each other for years, and we've just started to talk about the reality that this person is so used to having a relationship where they're asking for things and we're there to help, which isn't inherently wrong, but if, but if that's all that's there, there's no, there is no friendship. There, there is no family. There's no, those things are easily overlooked to the point where this, this character starts to feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a charity case, right? Like, maybe y'all haven't said that to me. Maybe y'all haven't told me that, but, but I feel that way. And I talked to this person and, and asked, what, what would it look like for that to change. Not that we're going to stop helping you, but how can we also help you feel valued? Not just assist, but how can we be friends? And to this person, they feared that even if we created opportunity to have those, those opportunities, right? Like group hangouts, going bowling, kicking it in a park, that they would still feel like they didn't completely belong because they're that charity case that will stick out like a sore thumb. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we hear from friends or family members who say, yo, I'm, I'm finally coming to church. But in our back of our minds, we, we start to think, maybe not. Like, are you coming? And, and that's not a jab. Like, man, you've been saying you, you come for months now. You haven't come. But I also wonder if, if you come to this space, if you'll feel like an outcast. Because of your situation or what you're going through right now. 
Now, and that's not for me to say that we're all at fault for whenever these situations happen, because some of it is self-doubt that people go through. Some of it is deception from Satan himself. But it's situations like these where I'm constantly trying to think what it means for City Hope to be a space where all people are welcome. What does that look like? How's that worked out? I think, you know, this is another point. I think it's also important to recognize that this is uh, Pride Month. This is a year where another community, another family within the LGBTQ community take time to commemorate those who have been exposed to hate crimes and victimized. And I understand that that's not all Pride Month is for. You know what I'm saying? It's not just a memorial of, of, of harsh situations that have happened, but that is definitely a part of what takes place in a month. And it's worth noting that there are folks within this community who were once within the doors of the church, but who left because of hatred or feeling ostracized or simply haven't been given the space to work through and wrestle with scripture and sexuality. Now, Christianity and sexuality, that's an entire conversation within itself. I'm not here to preach on all of that, you know what I'm saying? I got a lot of learning to do in that area. And according to scripture, we need to wrestle with that and allow the Lord to convict where necessary. I'm not saying we can't have disagreements, but I think that we as a church have done damage to our witness by seeking to harshly convert rather than graciously listen and disciple. My wife finished a book written by uh, Jackie Hill Perry. It's titled Gay Girl, Good God. She's a poet. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's really great. Make sure to check her out. Um, And, yeah, she shared with me some notes in a book. This is also me saying I haven't read it yet. You know what I'm saying? I need to read that book. But as she shared some, some notes with me, um, so you get credit for this. <laughs> and Jackie Hill gets credit, credit for this. Um, but she shared notes in her book that express how in the church we exalt the nuclear family rather than praise God for the beauty of singleness. This isn't a direct quote, but this, this is a paraphrase. If we're too quick to see romantic love as a pinnacle of life, then what we should expect If we're too quick to see romantic love as a pinnacle of life, then what should we expect from this community, right? If if we start to exalt, right, the the nuclear family, which is a funny term to me, I'm like, nuclear family just sounds funny. (laughs) That sounds a little dangerous. (laughs) I don't know the origins of nuclear family. If somebody knows, please let me know after this this service. Um, But... Yeah, to say, yo, it's all about having the the wife and the husband, the dog and the picket fence, the two cats with wide windows and, you know, a garden and all of that. Garden is nice. I've just been doing that recently. Um, But to say that is the pinnacle of life and not God himself. You got to know that those who do are working through sexuality are going to start to believe that because we give that false illusion. You know, Josh has also hit about this idea within his sermons, and we got to make sure our energy is consistent, right? If we're quick to tell Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction that they must flee their feelings and not act on them, then we ought to be able to maintain a space where single Christians feel cared for and not as second best. Our Savior was single. He was tempted in every way. There is glory in singleness, and our family has an opportunity to let people know that. We also spend a lot of time talking about racial reconciliation, which really means that for reconciliation to happen, you got to be willing to bring justice. That's got to be served. White supremacy must be denounced. Not should, it must. Amen? And working through what it means for Christians of color to feel safe under this roof has to be a part of the family discussion. Mainly because the white evangelical church has done a lot of dark things. There's a lot of dark history within our story. 
Hearing all of this might be the reason that some people want to or have left God's family. We often dream of entering into a set of church doors, hoping it will be the perfect place for us to come, for us to be, for us to exist. But whether you're the one who's been hurt or if you're the one who doesn't want to be a part of a family that's caused a lot of hurt or pain, it can lead you to wanting to just flee altogether. Now, at this point, y'all might be thinking, Chris, our church is not perfect. Are you saying we can't disagree with homosexuality? Are you saying we have to envy ourselves for not being anti-racist enough? Unfortunately, our family will be met with skepticism because as long as sin is present, we won't ever be the perfect family. That's just real. It ain't never going to happen. But I ask this question in return. What would it look like for our family to be so dynamic that nobody wants to leave? What would it look like for our family to have doors open so wide that they will want to rush into the family? Well, to do this means our family must be willing to admit that we have our own versions of walls that we build. And to invite others in the family means building trust. It also means we also got to realize where we came from, okay? Paul tells Gentiles in verse 11 through 12 not to forget that they were once outsiders, uncircumcised, heathens, excluded, and didn't even know the covenant promises. They weren't aware of the concept. We weren't aware of this concept. But we have to be aware. We have to be thinking about that. If the problem is isolation and distance from God, which was once our status, then the solution has to be nearness and belonging to God and the family. Let's go ahead and throw that uh, next verse on there, verses 19 through 22. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, we are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We are his house, y'all. We are part of the crib. You know what I'm saying? We are part of the condo, the trailer, the mansion, whatever floats your boat. We are part of. My goal today is not to come up with, with multiple points of how to become better family members. You know, I joke about the three Presby points, okay? I ain't got none today. I'm sorry. If you wanted them, they ain't here today. But my goal today is to remind us simply to remember where we came from. When we remember our past, it reinforces the power of where we are today. There's power in where we are today. Through the blood of Jesus, we didn't belong, but now we do. And it didn't matter the sin that kept us away from God. He's a guy who desires to be near all of his family members. Everybody, you, 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 mm, 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 mm. you and the rest of y'all. <laughs> Even my man on the slides, you're doing, you're killing it back there, Dave. <laughs> Real talk, you really are killing it, though. That wasn't me calling you out. Thanks, bro. <laughs> he desires to be near all of his family members. Not, you know, man, I, man, this kid bugging me today. You know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to go over there, God. Chill in the corner. Get away from me. And you, ah, uh, you might 
my adorable little kid, you know what I'm saying? We can hang out all the time. This is the Lord saying, I want to spend time with all y'all. Remember that we get the chance to be welcoming to new brothers and sisters in the family. If we are carefully joined in, that means somebody else is too. So I've been talking about the parents. This is also for the kids too, who are like, nah, this is mine. They can't play with this. They can't play with that. Man, share, share that toy with your brother or your sister. They deserve it because they're part of the family too. Share them Doritos. Share uh, Tyco, share that cucumber. <laughs> yeah, that kid loves cucumbers. I ain't never seen a kid eat cucumbers like him. This man has one a day. <laughs> I'm thoroughly impressed. <laughs> Not to romanticize the idea of being a loving family, but loving family is really hard, though. We can admit that. God's grand picture was to bring together all kinds of people into one family through faith in Jesus, meaning that this family is going to look different. It's going to be met with many challenges. Our strength to love our Christian family members and outsiders It starts with recognizing that God is the author of peace. He predestined it way before we decided to join in. Because of this plan that he brought, he brought peace. He brought peace. He brought what, y'all? That's it. (laughs) Division and hostility are destroyed through the blood of Jesus. And unity and peace is established. And having these things in mind can help us perceive others differently rather than turning on our defenses. When we see someone run to the family, we can begin to welcome them into the family. This makes me think of uh, the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read the whole story, y'all. So I just need y'all to just sink this in. I was like, man, this is a perfect example. Lord, I ain't make it up. Lord did, you know. It says in verse 11, and he said, there was a man, um, yeah, yeah, that's it, okay. I wonder if I'm reading the wrong, I'm going to read up there, okay. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share, wait, wait, yeah, I want my, not share. Now, this man wants his share of your estate before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the higher servants got food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a higher servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Get some sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So this is where the party begins, y'all. Hey, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants, what's going on? 
your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The father could have easily said, this son, this son of mine, he's a pig. He could have said he's a gambler. He's reckless, greedy, impulsive, sexually immoral. You can't come back. He could have easily said these things. He could have said, we don't need this kind of behavior in this household, young man. Not in these family doors. Instead, he greeted him. He fed him. He put some shoes on. He said, hey, give me them rings. Uh, uh, got one here, got one here, got one here. Bam, right? Sun is clean. The sun is stunting. He was celebrated for coming back to the family. We were once this son in pursuit of our own desires, but we found out that life without father was so much better than being on our own. And rather than being greeted by an angry brother who thought that us being on the property was an abomination, It was the father who celebrated us and reminded us we are his kids. We are his children. And we are in the family. Who also told that brother, whoever that is in your life, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, they deserve to be here. They need to be here. Not deserve as in they worked hard for this, they here. You know what I'm saying? The son lost everything. And then he decided to come back. But was still welcomed. Remember, we were once outside of the family doors, but now we are inside of those doors. We're in those doors. We got a house key. Y'all parents ever give y'all a house key when y'all get older? You got keys to the crib. If you ain't experienced that yet, I mean, some of y'all still young. Y'all going to get keys to the crib one day. It's coming. The Lord wants to invite people into the family, too. He wants to give keys to other people. No matter the background, no matter the sin struggle, their ethnicity, because they can, should, and want to be adopted, too. So those keys we got, let's make sure we share those, y'all. Amen? Right on. Let's pray.